Well, it definitely affects my perspective on almost everything. It's hard to walk away from a through hike and not have it affect uh, or influence lots of components of your life. I mean, the way you approach people, the way you, uh, the way you um, approach, uh, I don't want to say people because it's, it's, it's strangers as well as even your own family. Like you interact differently. You appreciate things uh, more. And I think you're just more open as a person. You are listening to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Camel, known off trail as Andy Lobb. He is a documentary filmmaker who has completed the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and most recently the Pacific Northwest Trail. He has also started the Arizona Trail, but for reasons we discuss on the podcast, he hasn't quite completed that one yet. You can also find us at hiking through. Dot com through spelled T H R U of course where you can find show notes photos and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast you can also listen on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places enjoy my conversation with Camel all right we're, we're on live. we're real we're live okay cool well good to connect I, I can see the picture of you and Walker on oh, your yeah. Skype. From, uh, actually, I think that's from shortly before I left for the Pacific Northwest Trail this summer. So uh, okay. he's a little bigger and my hair and beard are a little puffier. <laughs> so. I would imagine. I didn't think, I probably not much grooming happened while on the Pacific Northwest Trail. No, that's sort of taboo as, uh, in the through hiking world. So yeah, no. Um it was a great hike, though. I got back uh, just over a week ago, so oh, pretty wow. fresh, pretty fresh from a through hike. <laughs> so, so do t- tell me more about this this grooming thing. I, I hadn't heard about this rule. Uh, I thought it was pretty commonplace in through hiking culture. Like girls don't shave their legs, and mm-hmm. guys don't shave their face, uh, and you get as furry as the hike is long. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've been through hiking for ten years. Uh, I've successfully completed three long distance trails and, um, which encompasses about 6,500 miles. And, uh, that has also meant very puffy beards. My beard looks very Amish, uh, when it grows out, it gets like, it grows like horizontally. It doesn't grow like vertically. So, um, yeah, it's a a Mennonite or an Amish beard (laughs) when I get to the end of whatever hike I'm currently pursuing. Yeah. Well, okay. So I know that you did the AT and I know you did the PC, the PCT and the, now the Pacific Northwest trail. What else have you done? Uh, well, so I tried to sneak, uh, the Arizona trail in, in 2017, about a month before my son was born. And that was just a world of bad decision-making. Mm-hmm mainly because the entire time I was out there, I was very stressed that my wife was going to give birth. So it was really hard. I actually wrote an article about it, 
or did like a photo essay on it. But I, I completed half of the Arizona Trail um, before I really realized that I was not, my head was not in it. Um, and I returned, returned home uh, in time for the delivery. Uh, but it was not a good decision. Uh, but I did, yeah, so I did half the Arizona Trail. I also did uh, about a 150 mile stretch of the Hayduke route, which is a clandestine sort of outlaw through hike in Utah. Uh, it's about 800 miles. It runs through Utah and parts of Northern Arizona. Uh, and I did that in the spring of 2016 for another project. And I've done a lot of, you know, kind of weekend and mm -hmm. uh, section hikes on the AT and all over the world too. Um, I did a three week um, trip in Mongolia, but a lot oh, of wow. it is production oriented. So it's, right. uh, it's not like normal hiking. You know, there's a lot of camera gear. There's a lot of stopping and starting and it's not, uh, it's not quite like a through hike, but yeah, I mean, I mm -hmm. probably, I'd say in the last 10 years, uh, I've probably accumulated beyond through hiking, probably another thousand miles of hiking in, in random spaces and with family and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Did the AT sort of set you off with it or? Oh, yeah. So when I went out on the Appalachian Trail, I had never backpacked ever, like not <laughs> once. And uh, I was smart enough to think that, uh, or I should say, well, smart, I was being coy, but I was inexperienced enough to think that if I left, uh, and I left the first week of February, I thought it's the South, it'll be warm. And it was not. It was like the first six weeks were bitter cold and snow and uh, I started with a pack that was, you know, pretty classic. It was about mm -hmm. 75 or 80 pounds. And Jesus. I had my I had my dad's like, you know, 1970 ski jacket on board. And I had a, all this hand-me-down stuff that just weighed a ton. And it also was really inefficient. But um, I learned very quickly. And I also learned to kind of embrace the experience. And mm -hmm. I really liked being challenged like that. And... Uh, I mean, the Appalachian Trail definitely inspired a love for not just wild places, but also for the act of through hiking, which I love the lifestyle and the culture behind through hiking. And I also mm -hmm. love how it challenges me mentally and physically. And it sort of is the ultimate test uh, for me personally to do a through hike. So I, I pretty much love everything about it and have design my film career around getting out and doing through hikes. So it sounds like a good policy. Yeah. 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 It's taken a lot of time, but, uh, it's definitely very, very close to my heart or inside my heart. So mm -hmm. it's, it's important that I made it part of my life, not just for in my twenties, but for my whole life. So, yeah, no, I, you give me hope because I've never done anything obviously this extensive uh, in terms of a through hike or truly hiking in general. So your experience on the AT sort of gives me hope. Um, so what's your stat? What do you, what do you, what are you going for? You're going for the PCT I'm next going, May. I'm going for the PCT uh, okay. actually in 2020. In 2020. In okay. 2020. Yeah. Um, it's my 50th birthday. So it's sort of wrapped up in that whole uh, celebration, so to speak, uh, celebration and 
you know, I'm still young enough to go crazy. <laughs> hey, I mean, I, one guy on our crew this summer was 40. Uh, I mean, he's a cinematographer mm-hmm. and, uh, he, he did the PCT, I guess it was three years ago. Okay. I finished the PCT with a guy who was probably close to 50. Um, nice. so yeah, age. And I found, and it, maybe it's just because I was on a more obscure trail this summer, mm-hmm. but most of the folks were like between 30 and 50. There was like, really? there, yeah, which was interesting because I think some of the more popular trails like the PCT or the Appalachian Trail have folks who are just getting out of college and sort of that younger demo. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but the, the Pacific Northwest Trail, which is definitely a more challenging, more obscure route uh, catered to, uh, an older audience. Um, so that was kind of nice cause I'm older myself. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was noticing like with your, the AT and even the Pacific North, uh, not the Pacific Northwest, the PCT, like you had a lot of experience with, with snow and cold and, and that kind of thing. I mean, which is obviously a concern when you're in the mountains and, and that kind of stuff. And, and certainly a concern that I'm worried about. Uh, yeah. I mean, the experience came out of like just pure stupidity on the Appalachian trail because I didn't realize that it was going to be winter down South. Mm-hmm. And I just learned how to through hike in the snow. I mean, we, um, I very quickly joined up with, uh, one of who's now one of my best friends. Um, his name's Ian Mangiardi. Um, and we hiked the whole Appalachian Trail together. We hiked the whole PCT together. But we, through hiking is typically following spring. So it's not mm-hmm. normal to through hike in like actual winter conditions. Yeah. Uh, so our through hike was very different in the fact that there was nobody else out on trail, on the Appalachian Trail. We were the first ones by probably about six weeks. Yeah. Uh, so there was nobody else out there. Uh, we had nights that went well into the negatives. Ow. consistently we had snowstorms that put up knee high or higher snow drifts um and that was all because i was ignorant i mm-hmm. just thought this is what everybody does i didn't even know there was a through hiking culture or a time to leave so the ability to cope with and manage prolonged snow exposure and winter mm-hmm. exposure was really just what, what I learned in. And then when we hit the PCT, we hiked the PCT in the highest snow year on record. So right. the high, the high Sierras were socked in, uh, with tons of snow. And while it was summer and the temperatures were warm, uh, we were basically had 400 or so miles of just pure snow whenever we got above the deep valleys. Um, so that's something to pay attention to the year that you're going to hike is how much snow the Sierras get, of course. And then we were so slow going through the high Sierras that we ran into winter up in the North Cascades. And that was Mm -hmm. full on winter where we had whiteouts and that was pretty dangerous country to be in in late October, really mid to late October. Um, and we didn't finish till almost Halloween. So it was way late. Yeah, I think we were one of the last people. There might have been maybe maybe one other uh, set of thru-hikers to finish our year in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then, um, so yeah, so dealing with snow was really just 
that's sort of the beauty of a through hike is you just kind of have to manage and adapt to whatever is thrown at you by the trail guides. So it could be anything from a forest fire to really big snowpack to fresh snow because you were late to, um, you know, an old burn area that has Mm -hmm. thousands of downed trees that you have to navigate, which you will have a lot of in 2020 because there were huge forest fires this year. So all of that, luckily the Pacific Crest Trail has very uh, strong and reliable resources that can get trail crews out to clean up the mess that is left after things like a forest fire. Mm Pacific Northwest Trail, which I just got off of, does not. So we were hurtling down trees for weeks uh, through old burn areas and things like that. So, so the trails, yeah, you just adapt. And uh, for me, uh, besides the last through hike I just did, snow has always been a an interesting component of my through hike. I mean, and, and I know in 2011, even, I mean, there was technology, but it's not obviously like it is now. But how did you navigate through the whiteouts and the snow and the because you can't find the trail, you can't see it? Yeah. Um, so that was really tricky. And luckily, because uh, all we had were paper maps and compass, but in a whiteout, I mean, a whiteout is completely obscure and would actually kind of hunker us down at times. But uh, Ian had a GPS, so we were living on that red line and the mm-hmm. waypoints, and it was like walking inside of a ping pong ball at times. <laughs> where oh, if that if that GPS had gone out, we would have had to have set up camp and just waited out, which would have meant you know more time and more food and all the things that yeah. come with being stagnant in the mountains, which can be really rough and. Um, but luckily Ian did carry a GPS for the high Sierras and in the North Cascades. And that really saved our butts because most through hikers, um, I would say myself included, uh, are not really well equipped to hike in the winter. Uh, we're really, we hike, we pack really light and it's a whole different mentality when you have constant sub freezing or sub zero temperatures with, uh, heavy snowfall. That's a very different and more dangerous style of hiking that requires a whole different set of skill sets. And luckily Ian has a little bit more experience than me, better gear. And, um, you know, that's the power of a team. Um, so we're able to get through it and make it to Canada. Did, did you use some sort of navigational tool on the Pacific Northwest trail this year, or were you still back in the maps and. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, we did. Uh, so gut hook is really popular. Uh, mm-hmm. The Guthook app, it's a really powerful resource. I first used it on my stint on the Arizona Trail in 2017. And the app just came out this year with a trail set up for the Pacific Northwest Trail. So we were the guinea yeah. pigs. So there was oh, a sweet. lot of errors. Yeah, there was a lot of errors. And there were a lot of, you could see that the person who laid the waypoints had a difficult time because there is a lot of bushwhacking and scrambling on that route uh so it was really nice to have but it did have some uh it needs improvement (laughs) so you as you say you were the test the test case so yeah we were the test dummies but we did have a paper map set with us as well which i prefer i like having that um Mm -hmm. 
And normally I would just find where we were at via the gut hook app. And then I'd immediately just go right to the paper map to do the route finding or to uh, figure out where, where we were going. So did you also have a supplementary like GPS or anything like that or? Uh, yeah, so I carry and I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend a Garmin inReach, uh, the mini. It weighs like, gosh, I want to say it weighs about like two or three ounces. It weighs nothing. And it pairs with your phone. Okay. So that, and it's, it really saved our butts, like in a big and very specific way. We were, uh, this summer, we were by, um, Holloman Pass or Holcomb Pass. I, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, it's in the Pasayan Wilderness. It's actually the one point where the Pacific Northwest Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail intersect. Okay. And we were one valley over and we woke up and we were ready to go up and really excited. And we got a message from my friend's fiance that there was an active forest fire on the pass, which was in the adjacent valley. And it was spreading very quickly. Oh, no. So had we not gotten that message, then we wouldn't have, we had to do a 26 mile bailout that day to get out of the Satan because it was literally on fire. So if I didn't have the Garmin in reach, there would have been no way for her to reach us. Mm -hmm. And we would have definitely walked up to or gotten pretty close to an active wildfire, which is very scary, especially given that we, (laughs) uh, we had walked through and around a lot, lots of other active wildfires. So just having the messenger is really good, but it's also a light device and it, it pairs with your smartphone, which mm-hmm. you're going to have anyway. Yeah. And you can download all the maps you want. So you're actually not working on the Garmin. You're working on your smartphone, which is really intuitive and much easier to use than like clunky old GPSs that are heavier, but also the interfaces aren't exactly intuitive. So it just pairs with your smartphone. It gives you the ability to send texts and emails at any time. And it also gives you a full map set for whatever you download, which is really helpful. Nice. Okay. So that when that was the Garmin inReach mini. Yeah, it's, um, it's like $350. And then the service, uh, with like unlimited text messaging is like, it's about, it's pretty comparable to a cell phone. It's like 50 to $60 a month and you can do it just for the time that you're out on the trail. So it's kind of nice. Right. Okay. How did you keep everything charged? (laughs) Uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, most of your questions have been t- toward normal through hiking, but we carry a lot of camera gear. This yeah. summer, we, we set out. There was three of us, and we had um, full camera, professional camera equipment uh, mm-hmm. while through hiking. And we carry lots of batteries. I carry about five batteries for my camera, and then I carry a pretty heavy. I call it a brick, but it's basically a. Re- a rechargeable battery you can plug into via USB to charge your smartphone or charge camera batteries. Um, they come in all different sizes. You can get a really small one, which most through hikers do have is a really small version of what I had. Um, I just had a kind of a Goliath one to be able to charge my batteries for my camera, uh, right. which was pretty critical for me. So now was, um, yeah. was what you were doing on the Pacific Northwest trail similar to what you were doing on the Pacific crest trail, or was this a, even bigger production. Yeah. The Pacific Crest Trail was my first film. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a pretty crude film, like from a production standpoint, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had, I had worked in, uh, I had worked in TV, but only as a writer and as a uh, kind of behind the scenes person, like a production grunt, if you will. Mm -hmm. 
but I had never worked with a camera. I had never edited before. I had, I hadn't done any of those things. So when I set out for the Pacific Crest Trail, it was as much to do the hike as it was to learn and force myself to learn how to work a camera. And, and, the, and then after it was over, put a film together, do Got the it. soundtrack and all that kind of stuff. So, so this film this summer, this is my eighth film now, and it's been almost, almost a decade later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a much higher level film with partners and funding from sponsors and the whole expectation around the production is much higher, uh, for distribution and everything else. So, yeah. Now what, what were you using this week, this summer, I guess on the Pacific Northwest trail in terms of camera, were you using like a video camera or were you using like a, a still camera that could also do video? Yeah. Uh, I use the Sony a seven Mark three, which is a mirrorless. It looks, you know, it's like a, it's a $2,000 camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and my entire crew had that. So we all had the same camera and okay. we had a variety of lenses. We had a drone for use in national forests. And I also had a thing called a gimbal, which keeps the camera really still and smooth um, for really cinematic kind of quality footage. Um, and then a bunch of audio equipment. So, but the a7 Mark III is a camera that uh, does really fantastic stills and does extremely high quality video. The, uh, we did destroy our cameras though, in the Bogashiel rainforest on the Olympic peninsula because of the intense amounts of rain and moisture. And, uh, we had to use our backup cameras for the last stretch of the trail. Uh, so, but I, I, I wow. we all threw our cameras in bags of rice and then, uh, we got them back at the end of the trail and they all worked. So, Sweet. They, so yeah, which was, which was very nice, but I do strongly recommend the A7 Mark III. Um, it's I'm not sponsored by Sony, mm-hmm. but I strongly recommend the camera. It's it's a it's a fantastic beast that really provides, uh, and it's a decent price point. Um, you can yeah. probably find some used ones for you know closer to a, a thousand or fifteen hundred. But it's small. It's really light. It weighs less than a pound, and if you have a a lens that's uh just a small lens it's something you can easily just clip onto your shoulder strap and be able to mm-hmm. capture adventure so that's no that's sweet i mean i've heard a lot about these the sony mirrorless cameras um you know a lot of people seem to recommend them because they are so light but they have good quality and and all of that so that's that's awesome because right now i'm i'm lugging around a, a nikon and that's a little heavy for actually a through hike <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I would strongly recommend toward the mirrorless. And there's some other features. It depends on what you're doing, but mm-hmm. for me, it was kind of a no-brainer um, just because of the video quality. And I think I think uh, folks who watch our film in about a year are going to be pretty happy with the results. So sweet, sweet. So so how much was your pack weight, or, or I guess maybe I'm breaking it down into how much was your usual pack weight, meaning like food, water, that kind of stuff, clothes versus then the additional weight that you put on with the camera stuff? So well, my base weight, so my base weight with just hiking gear, which is the usual kind of bar or metric that Mm -hmm. people use. So that's no food or water. That was probably about eight pounds. Okay. Um, And then uh, and the camera gear probably totaled about 10 pounds. So my camera gear weighed more than 
what okay, I actually so needed to through hike. Yeah. And then food is about a pound and a half a day. And uh, water is, I usually, my trail name is Camel. So I usually mm-hmm. travel uh, pretty light because I don't need that much water. So I usually only carry about a liter of water to keep it really light. Uh, so, but yeah, I would say at any given time, my pack weighed between, you know, at the very least it was 18 pounds. And at the very most, it was probably something like, I don't know, 30 to 35 on some of our eight to our really long stretches, like mm-hmm. through the Pesaten wilderness. So, so a far cry from the 70, you started out in the AT. Oh yeah. I mean, if I didn't do camera stuff, uh, my pack would, again, it's, it weighs eight pounds or less. I mean, I, I'm very minimal. I don't carry a tent. I carry a tarp, um, and I share a tarp. So I share my pot with the, uh, people that I have dinner with. Mm-hmm. I was three guys and one, one and a half liter pot all summer that we cooked with. Um, so like by communal sharing and also being really hard on what I carried, I think my pack mm-hmm. probably weighed something like seven and a half or eight pounds. Um, cowboy camped every night. Um, only use the tarp maybe a week uh, this summer. And yeah, I mean, keeping it light, but not stupid light. Like I still have a shell. I still have a puffer. I still have shell pants. Um, but everything else is pretty minimal. I don't have camp clothes if I'm not in a rainy, cold situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's all about the environment. And I think a pack is not a rigid thing. It's always going to change. Um, yeah. So in the beginning of your hike on the PCT, you can expect to be really light because you're in the desert. And um, and then you might have to beef up a little bit for the Sierras by maybe adding an extra camp layer. And then you right. can probably take it away again for Northern California and Oregon. And then you're probably going to bring back another layer or two when you get up to Washington, depending on what time you get there. So it's good to have it's good to have all that stuff kind of laid out at the house um, mm-hmm. or where somebody can send it out to you. Um, easily because packs do change. Um, by the end of the Pacific Northwest Trail, we were in very cold, uh, very wet rainforest. So I actually had to get an extra fleece. Um, I had a, I got an umbrella, <laughs> um, and there were oh, and, and like just some beefier things like a winter hat and things like mm-hmm. that that I didn't have in the beginning. So, and were packs- those things you just picked up, or were those things that people sent were, were sent to you? Uh, for the Pack Northwest, we were sponsored by Outdoor Research. Okay. Uh, so we had everything pre- pre-bought uh, pretty much. So it was sent out to us. Nice. I know I've heard people say, you know, like REI on the trail, like if they have an equipment malfunction or they need certain equipment, like calling REI and just having them ship it is a nice cheat, so to speak. Yeah, that's a, I don't think it's a cheat. I think that's what most people do. Um uh, either, I mean, Amazon or mm-hmm. REI, REI, you're going to have better customer service than Amazon. So I would, yeah, I would strongly right. recommend using REI and, um, for, if you need something, they'll send it to a post office and, uh, and it should be there waiting for you when you get to town. Which is always the fun of it. It's like a birthday. Uh, yeah, it's like a birthday, except it's a birthday present that you probably really need or needed like <laughs> a week ago. So probably, yeah, yeah. probably. Now, I know you, I mean, your trail name is Camel, and that evolved from the fact that you don't have to drink a lot of water. Yes. Does the does a trail name stick with you once you've gotten it, or do they sort of evolve based on the trails? 
You know, it's it's funny because um, I didn't use my trail name once this summer at all. What? No, not at all. And a lot of it has to do with the um, what we were going into the hike with. So this for me was a more I hate to say professional endeavor because that doesn't mm-hmm. sound fun, but because we had sponsors and because we and I say we, my team, uh, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, a guy named Peter Hockhauser, who's from Vienna, Austria, and then a guy named Brennan Bartlett, who's based on the Olympic Peninsula. Um, because we had been working together for almost a year before the hike to get sponsors and get all of our production uh, logistics lined up, mm-hmm. we had we were not using trail names. So when we got out on trail, we didn't then switch. Uh, okay. And the trail community is really small on the Pacific Northwest trail. There's only like maybe 50 to 70 people that try it a year. Okay. So we didn't run into a ton of through hikers either. Um, so yeah, we, uh, I would say that trail names in general for the larger trails can evolve, but usually once you get yours, it, it does stick for that trail. And, um, I have known, people who have switched trail names when they've gone onto other trails or just gotten a new one because mm-hmm. the other one doesn't fit anymore. You know, it's sort of like a, a glove that seems misshapen or something, but, yeah. um, but yeah, you know, I've only, I only really used my trail name on the PCT. I got it on the Appalachian trail, but Ian and I barely used it either. Cause again, we weren't like in the, uh, we weren't in a pack. There wasn't a pack of people around us, like illuminating us on trail culture because, we were just really early and we didn't know any better. So we were using on a first name basis, but, but sometimes, you know, the PCT was my most normal through hike, I guess. And, uh, you know, people did call me camel and for the most part, I didn't know people's real names and that was really fun. (laughs) You know, you really look at that person as, Oh, that's noodles Ramanoff or, you know, that's story time or that's Mr. Fucking gentle spirit. Like you, (laughs) you see that person for the, as they are right there, which is kind of nice. There's nothing attached, you know, in the cotton concrete world to their name. It's just the, the fun name that they came up with or were given when they're on their hike. Right. So. But it sort of personifies them in that moment or in this experience. Yeah. And, you know, I went into the PCT with the trail name Camel, but by the end, our little, you know, trail family, my full trail name, which was given to me was Camel the Viking of Delphi, because I had this huge blonde shag and this huge beard and I had this kind of like toque Canadian hat and uh, people started calling me Viking instead and then and then I'm from Philadelphia so I don't know the whole name just kind of came together so yeah trail names evolve Uh, let's put it that way (laughs) yeah oh that's funny that's funny I I, in your in your documentary from the Pacific Crest Trail uh, when you guys were up in the snow in Washington you had done a little video where you were making you had peanut butter and you were putting I think it was almond joys in it and then you were putting like a cube of butter in it and like oh yeah oh yeah that's 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 how it goes I mean yeah so wait, sorry what's your question <laughs> I I guess my question is I mean I know you're a you're a tall guy so I'm assuming that you know the calories and the need for calories and and that kind of stuff uh really push you to do crazy things but um was that what was that what that was or was was the peanut butter and the butter and the almond joy and whatever just an easy way to pack everything together essentially no it's a it's a i mean you are calorically deficit 
you're operating on a caloric deficit when you're through hiking. I mean, there's no way to go 20 to 25 miles a day with a 3,000 foot elevation gain average per day without, and you can't carry enough food for that. So you can binge eat in town and whatnot, but I found, especially in Washington, when it got really cold and snowy, where your body's fighting just at baseline to stay warm, you lose even more calories. I wouldn't say double, but it's significant. I mean, it's very noticeable. And I started to lose weight rapidly uh, to the point where I was a little bit nervous because I'm kind of a skinny guy to start with. Um, and I was getting really cold really fast and having a hard time maintaining uh, a healthy internal body yeah. temperature. So the more calories I could get, the better. I, and one of the ways I do that, which I still do, uh, and I did this summer, is by packing uh, butter in my peanut butter. I don't do the almond joys anymore, <laughs> but I I do put butter in my peanut butter and call it super butter. And that's kind of one of my things out on trail. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is to also pack out a bag of marshmallows. And then I just cut the marshmallow in half and make like a little super butter sandwich with a marshmallow, which is like a nice little treat. But yeah, uh, being calorically deficit takes some getting used to. I would say that I'm pretty sure. used to it now, though. Uh, like it wasn't that hard this summer on the Pacific Northwest Trail to kind of get in the groove, do big mile days on what is pretty meager rations, uh, yeah. and and still feel healthy. I, I think you know this one being my third or fourth through hike. However you look at it, it's like my body's like, okay, this is what we're doing. Okay, we're gonna be really lean and get used to this, and mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but when you get to town, you just pig out, which is, you know, pretty, everybody knows about the pig outs. Um, but yeah, you, you know, sit down and eat two or three meals at a diner, no sweat, and then go back to your motel room and eat a pint of ice cream. You know, it's pretty, (laughs) pretty commonplace. It's like a food fantasy come true. It is. But you know, this summer I found myself, I used to really look forward to town on through hikes. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I didn't on this through hike, but I guess because it's not my first rodeo anymore and I live in the city, I live in the heart of Philadelphia, it's mm-hmm. going to town is sort of a hassle. It's like you have to do all these resupplies and you yeah. have to, um, and, I mean, I did like certain things like FaceTiming with my son and catching up with everybody back home and my wife, but I just really enjoyed being out in nature and I I I didn't look at town as like, this like it wasn't as much of like trying to get to town all the time, uh, and I really just savored the long stretches that we had in the backcountry, especially out in some of those really really remote spots in western Montana and Idaho and eastern Washington. Um, mm-hmm. So town became a little bit less magical, I guess. Um, maybe it's just because you know I, I have a bit more experience, and I did like to eat, but it wasn't as uh, it, it didn't seem as magical as it used to be, I guess. Yeah. Did you try to stretch it out so you didn't, you carried more food with you per se, and so you didn't have to go into town as often? Or it's sort of on each of the trails, it's sort of like these are the places you go into town and you just, you do it. Yeah. I mean, you can only carry so much. I think a comfortable carry is like my favorite kind of stretch is that one that's like you get to town on the night of the fifth night, like five full days out. It's like a pretty comfortable carry. Um, the Pacific Northwest Trail does give you some options. And when we were able to skip a town or pick you know, a longer stretch, we mm-hmm. did it. 
So, and I think, I think it was because the guys I was with, it it wasn't their first rodeo either. So we all kind of wanted a more prolonged because it is, there is something magical once you get past like day three and four of a stretch where you really are operating in a different space. And when you have some of the stretches, if you're lucky, you know, like the Pesaten was like a seven or eight day stretch. Uh, and some of the stretches early on in the hike, our first stretch in glacier was nine days. So, so those stretches are pretty magical and you definitely, I think affect a little bit more change on yourself when you're out Mm -hmm. for those longer stints. When you have to go that long, like, are there certain go-to foods that you take with you because of weight or calories or, you know, some combination thereof or? Yeah. I mean, size is also like a, a predominant factor to that. Uh, mm-hmm. So the, the least fun, but the most condensed dinner with calories, that's also physically very small is just instant mashed potatoes those are really small. So if it's ever a long stretch, we wouldn't really go for like the ramen or some of the heavier items like couscous because couscous is heavy. Ramen is really puffy and right. it takes a lot of ramen to, uh, to, for one meal. So we would go for stuff like, um, the instant mashed potatoes or the instant mashed potato soup, um, which is pretty calorically dense and also really small. Um, and then for breakfast, um, do at the time we could have fires. So we did, you know, you could do oatmeal, which is going to be your smallest, densest thing. And it's nice to have a hot meal in the morning. Um, but it can use more gas if you can't have fires, like if there's a fire ban, which is pretty common, um, toward the end of the summer. So, but, uh, and then just butter, butter and your peanut butter, maybe cook up bacon and pack out the fat and add that to your meals. Um, Things like that can kind of take off the edge if you just have something that's really calorically dense that you can just kind of add in mm-hmm. uh, to, to either your dinner or um, or like you put you wind up putting peanut butter on everything. So if you put butter in there, then you're putting a little bit of butter on everything, which really adds caloric density to right. what you're eating. So was there uh, foods that you just got sick of after a while? You're just like, I cannot stand another like yeah blank. well yeah so bars i haven't done bars since the appalachian trail so i don't do like cliff bars i don't do any kind of bars like they're just donezo uh my lunches normally are tortillas and then i'll carry out a hard block of cheese like extra sharp cheddar when and um pair that with like usually summer sausage or hard salami or pepperoni whatever is in the store and it's kind of funny because, like, in regular life, I don't eat that much meat at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but out on the trail, it's kind of like anything goes. <laughs> and if, yeah. And if you need the fat and the salt and the calories, then, um, yeah. And then I have a little two-ounce uh, squeeze bottle that you can just get on Amazon. And I kind of, whenever we hit up a diner, I put a bunch of hot sauce in that. So <laughs> typically, it's hot sauce meat and cheese inside of a tortilla. And I usually ration about two or three of those a day, um, for my kind of main lunch. And then I always have some big bag of, I still do trail mix, some big bag of trail mix. It's really nice to pack out things like, uh, kettle chips. Uh, it's nice to have that crunch and it's also, they're harder than regular potato chips. So they hold up better and they have tons of flavors. So you can't get tired of it really. Cause there's like, I don't know, 50 flavors or something like that. So, um, yeah, that's that's that was like the typical kind of lunch uh, or day menu, 
And then uh, for breakfast, I normally do, unless it's a really long stretch, I always do bagels with cream cheese. Okay. I pack out cream cheese. I packed out cream cheese when it's like 110 degrees out. And if you pack <laughs> it right inside your pack, keep it in a zippy, it, mm-hmm. it didn't go bad for any of us this summer. And I think our whole crew, uh, which by the end was about four or five people, um, everybody was doing bagels and cream cheese. So, And I only have one luxury item out Uh-oh. of my, my whole pack. And my one luxury item is a coffee drip and a little coffee mug that I've had forever. Um, it's not, you know, it's like a GSI double wall mm-hmm. plastic mug. It's really light, but it keeps the coffee nice and warm. And right. anybody who's ever hiked with me knows that every morning, no matter what, I'm going to make really nice drip coffee for anybody who wants it. So, <laughs> um, and you're everybody's yeah. best friend in the morning. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I always like, I always get it. It's always, you know, it, it's always, I'm a coffee guy. So anyway, I just always, I always start the day with really nice drip coffee and, you know, it's just that one cup and it's really, really nice to have in the morning, especially if it's cold or snowing or you have like tons of wet, cold clothes that you have to put on or are are already on. So it's just that kind of comfort item that's always been there for me. So did you, for your food and stuff, did you have boxes resupplying you or did you just pick up what you could at each of the towns you went into? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's one that I will adamantly say, do not send yourself resupply boxes. Just don't do it. Okay. It's it's especially because the PCT is so built up and you don't have to, you know, they, these towns are, are very well equipped for hikers. They have isobutane mm-hmm. gas and they have lots of dehydrated meals. And, uh, you know, just I would rather resupply at a gas station that is not equipped for through hikers than get a resupply box just because. Really? Yeah. Just because you don't know what you're going to want. You might. And what I've found with almost anybody I've run into that's done resupply boxes is that you wind up throwing out a majority of the stuff that's in your resupply box, either because you have too much and you didn't, it's hard to plan. Like Mm -hmm. it's or, or because you're sick of it. So resupply boxes are one of those really rigid things that first time through hikers do thinking, you know, this town might not have what I need, but realistically, every town, I only did two resupply boxes on the PCT, and it was because it was in northern Washington, and it was because each of those quote-unquote towns were closed because it was winter, and their stores were not operating, so we had to send stuff up. Um, Like, Stahican was one of them, and there was Mm -hmm. one other town. But otherwise, it's really nice just to be flexible, and it's also a nice way to give back to the communities that are along the trail, because you know, yeah. you're giving them money that wasn't generated in the town. And I think it's, it makes hikers look good if you're using like the f- more services you use in a town, the better it does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good for a local economy and that's good for hiker, you know, relations. So. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I didn't think of it that way, but you're right. Like you bring you outside bring money, outside money in. Yeah. And for some of these towns, I mean, I, I can't, fully remember like the demos of these towns on the PCT, but for the pack Northwest, it's like, these are like old timber towns. Some of the timber industry is kind of drying up in certain parts. They're not depressed, but they're not quite as lucrative as they were 50 or 60 years ago. So, I mean, it's a trickle of through hikers right now that are going through, but you know, it feels good to, you know, eat a couple meals at the restaurant, buy something at the grocery store, buy a couple trinkets to send home. Like, you know, yeah. it adds up after a while, I think. 
Now you were saying that you only did like on the PCT, you only did two resupply boxes. Is that, you know, what about like changing out gear and things like that? Or did you just keep kind oh, of, yeah. like bear canisters and ice axes and things like that, that you're going to need as you go along, but yeah, sorry. So I guess I, I didn't to clarify. specify. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah. So food, I only did two food resupply oh, boxes. Got it. Okay. Um, but yeah, gear was, is like kind of a constant flow back and forth. Um, which yeah, we definitely did a lot of, especially given we really had a beef up for last year when we had full on like knee gaiters and, mm-hmm. um, ice axes and micro spikes and yeah, all that stuff. Cause it was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Now I, I noticed, okay. So, and I noticed that, that on, I guess the AT and the PCT, you were hiking a lot in, or you were hiking exclusively in boots, like fairly heavy, substantial yeah. boots. That's changed. <laughs> oh, please do tell. That's changed. Yeah. I mean, I, I set out, you know, again, pretty clueless on the AT mm-hmm. and I had a pair of boots and they worked and I didn't really think about trying to lighten up my footwear at all. So I hiked in the same pair of boots for almost the entire AT until they almost blew out. And then when I went to hike the PCT, I still, I don't know. I've always been kind of my ethos with through hiking is I don't do a lot of research like in, I don't do a, I do a lot of research on gear now, but I don't do a lot of research with like what other people are using. I just kind of look at companies and I also try not to research anything about where I'm going because I want to be surprised and I don't want to see pictures ahead of time. So when we went to do the PCT, it was just, I was just like, well, those boots work for the whole thing. I never got one blister. So I might as well use them again. And it's also a big snow year. So I'm sure they'll be really helpful for kicking mm-hmm. in steps up the passes, which they were. Um, yeah. And I, I would have, if I had started in trail runners, which I use now on the PCT that year, I would have definitely switched out for some harder boots to be able to uh, make it up those passes. But for a normal through hike though, I mean, I just did a whole trail in uh, a pair of Hoka's okay. and I switched them out for a pair of ultras um, trail runners are the way to go and they're the way to go because they're light. You can expect to change them every five, 600 miles. So you're going to go through quite a few pairs if you do trail mm-hmm. runners, but you know what? Like it's so much lighter and <laughs> it's so much easier. And also not having Gore-Tex wrapped around your feet. Like mm-hmm. don't buy sneakers with Gore-Tex. Like that's just, okay. just get ones without Gore-Tex. You, you're, if your feet get wet, they'll dry out insanely quick in a pair of trail runners, especially in California, like no problem. Um, and, but just make sure, don't like, make sure you give up the ghost. Like when your shoes are done, like some people you'll see hang on to their shoes and this is like a hike your own hike thing, but I see people hang on to their shoes for a thousand miles and they're trail runners and they're just destroyed. It's mm-hmm. like, you're not doing your feet any favors, like five, 600 miles, like take a look at your shoes and yeah, they might be able to squeeze out another hundred or 200 miles, but you're going to start to affect the quality of the cushioning yeah. and the support around your foot. So, um, and my recommendation is don't go minimalist, like get the ones with the really beefy sole. So like the Olympus, threes those are the ones that i finished the trail on and i'm still using those now and i use them for over 600 miles i wouldn't use them for real hiking now because they are pretty beat up but Mm -hmm. i didn't have any tears on them but they just have these really beefy soles so you have like the cushion of like a boot um but they're you know they weigh they're super light they're trail runners so and that's the ultras 
Yeah, the Ultra Olympus Three. It just came out this summer. Um, oh, okay, nice. So, yeah, they're they are. You can check them out, um, but they have like a really fat tread on them, and they and the the mesh is not cloth. It's actually like a rubberized material, which prevents it from ripping. So nice. they just they just hold up, and they have custom gate like little trail gaiters that go with them that are really light and have a nice clip system. So I I strongly recommend those. Um, okay. Yeah, they were they were good for me. Now I know that you had said, or I had heard uh, one of the interviews or whatever that you said. You said your feet are pretty flat. Oh my gosh, they're like pancakes. They're like pancakes. Yeah. And the, I know that the ultras are generally a neutral shoe, which means that they're not going to be giving a lot of support for pronation, supination, and things like that. Did you use like an insert, an insole, or something? Or yeah, I've always used super feet. Uh, okay. I really like super feet, and I just have super feet that are made for flat feet. I think they're the light blue ones. They're made for people without any arch. Um, but yeah, that's super feet are super feet, and having you know. As far as like socks go, I mean, mm-hmm. 100% merino wool. Um, normally, if it's not winter or cold, I just carry two pairs of socks. Um, okay. But as soon as it gets cold, I throw in a camp pair of socks to have something dry to put on at night. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, two pairs of socks. And um, make sure you don't go too low cut with the ankle because, yeah, it's like you can't, you have your trail gator there too. It's kind of nice to have something for the trail gator to cling on beside your leg. So I kind of, I kind of went with like, I guess it's like a crew sock, you know, it's like a little bit higher, um, to to get above the trail gator. And so you don't, aren't having any issues with your heel and rubbing, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but farm to feet, uh, I tried those this summer and they're made in the U S and they were awesome. I was pretty disappointed with my darn tufts, which is saying something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think darn tough was onto something like 10 years ago, but I don't think they're as up on their game as they used to be because I got lots of holes in my darn tufts and I switched to this brand farm to feet and their socks were awesome. And that's what I, I used for the back half of the Pacific Northwest trail. So like the last 600 miles, no holes, no nothing. And they stayed nice and supple even when I used them day in and day out. Mm -hmm. So they were good. Yeah, no, I see them at REI definitely. So I will, I will check them out. Now, yeah. uh, speaking of socks, like this is just a, I'm sure I'm, I'm overthinking it because it is what it is when you're on the trail, but with two pair of socks, and I'm assuming that you're just switching it back and forth when you're out on the trail for eight days and so forth. Mm-hmm. Does that impact your feet at all? Like that you're just dirty socks switching back and forth? Well, or- yeah. I mean, there's, there's a whole maintenance thing to, to lightweight through hiking. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to. You know, you get if you get to a stream and you're going to be you know, crashing out for a half hour or 45 minutes, you know, take that first like five ten minutes and wash your socks, get like a nice smooth stone and kind of rub it on there and get all the dirt out of there, and then then just loop them on your pack in a tight way so mm-hmm. that they can dry throughout the day. And then you have, I mean, it's just a, you know, you're not getting them soaked clean, but you want to get, get all that grit and dirt out of there, which can really collect. Um, especially in like burn areas are like notorious for just being insanely dusty and that just gets in your feet and you want to try to keep your feet clearly as clean as possible to avoid blisters. So it's, it's good to regularly when you have good windows of what you will have in California, dry, sunny days of hiking, Mm -hmm. just wash your socks out and 
no need for soap. Just rinse them out, scrub mm-hmm. them really good, and then until the water's somewhat clear, and then just loop them on the pack your back of your pack and let them dry out that day. Um, and then you know you're constantly just doing that, you know, day after day if it's a long stretch. And uh, yeah, that's that's a good way to keep your feet nice and clean or somewhat clean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I would assume that you probably end up doing that a little bit with all of the gear that you're not wearing, whether it's like a shirt or underwear or whatever that just to keep the maintenance going. So yeah. you don't cause, uh, have issues. Yeah. And it's also good. Like, uh, you know, when you see a lake or a stream just to mm-hmm. jump in and clean off, I mean, in the high Sierras, you might face, uh, like some insane mosquito hordes. Um, yeah. So like, you know, day after day of that, it is really nice when you can get to a, a really nice glacial lake or a stream or something and just take a dip. And it's, I think it's rejuvenating for your body as it is for your head. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, yeah, I mean, I didn't normally wash my shorts. If I didn't go skinny dipping, I guess I would go in with my underwear depending on who was around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did regularly kind of rinse off my shirt. and But that's if you're going to, if you get to camp early, because clearly you have to wear your shirt. So, yeah. Um, but the shirt is less of a thing. The biggest thing is your feet, and you got to really do everything you can to keep your socks nice and supple and uh, not let them get ultra grimy if possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I the The pictures on Instagram of people's feet are quite quite interesting and scary all at the same time yeah i mean the the uh peter uh the austrian guy that i hiked with mm-hmm. this summer uh he had such bad blisters and you know it like listen to your body because like he had really bad blisters and he was wearing minimalist shoes and but he would have been a minimalist hiker if he wasn't carrying 10 pounds of camera gear on top of his ultralight pack so right you know, his feet were telling him like, Hey, you know, this isn't like the last time around, like there's a lot more camera gear and his feet were really getting beat up, lots of blisters. And he was having to do this thing called threading where you pop a needle through and Ah. leave a piece of thread in so that there's a constant kind of, uh, valve to let all the Mm -hmm. fluid out. And he was really just hurting himself. And I was like, dude, this was like halfway through the trail. I was like, come on, man. Like just, get a beefier pair of shoes and he wound up getting the ultras and he never had a blister again. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Wow. So like, listen, listen to your feet. Like if you're having really bad foot problems that are just chronic, change mm-hmm. up your footwear, like really change up your footwear because I mean, that can really clearly detract from your experience and even take you yeah. off trail if you don't, if you don't treat it or change it up. Yeah. When you injure your feet, it's very humbling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've been lucky in that, I have done three successful through hikes and I've never had a blister. So, um, knock on wood. Knock on wood. I mean, yeah, I've definitely had my feet get like rubbed a little bit if it's been like days of rain. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, there's only so much you can do in those situations. But no, I've never had any foot issues, which is pretty amazing. Pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, they, people like used to get out of the army for having flat feet and I've just kind of founding as found it as like a, a blessing. Like I've, I don't know. I've never had any issues with anything on my feet. Um, which is nice. So who knows? Yeah. Lucky. Very lucky. Very lucky. Now, what are you, what are you carrying? Like what's your pack? Um, so I carry, uh, this time around I had an Exos 58, uh, okay. Osprey. Okay. Um, uh, and 
I carried that because of the camera gear. Um, if I didn't have the, it's a, it's a really nice pack. It weighs like two and a half pounds. It's ultra light. Like Osprey is dialed in their minimal packs. The suspension, I love the suspension. I mean, you should go to REI and try it on because it's just, it's nice to have that airspace. It really does wonders. Uh, it mm-hmm. reduces the amount of water that you're outputting because you have a nice channel of air across your back, but it's also just really comfy. Um, but that said, if I didn't have production gear, I would have went with the <clears throat> the Osprey Levity, which is an even lighter version. Um, okay. And I say this with experience with like some of the even lighter packs, uh, like ULA I tried. Or um, Z-Packs or stuff? Or, or Z-Packs. I didn't try personally Z-Packs, okay. but um, I was... With the ULA, it was as light as the Osprey Levity, but the suspension was like nothing, and it's right against your back. Um, and for me, the, the the details that Osprey puts on their packs, like their pull sling and a lot of their ways that you can cinch it up, and also like their their multiple reach pockets and the pockets that you can reach on the side of the pack is really important, not only for hiking, but also for me for production. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Osprey. I, I, and they have a really good customer service and we'll get you a pack like, you know, with that, if you have an issue, anything critical. So I would check out if I were you the levity. Um, if you don't want to go that light, um, then check out the Exos and that's what I just used. And I will continue using it until, uh, something better and lighter comes out. (laughs) Until the next, and the, the next version of Osprey comes out. Until yeah, until the next one comes out. But I, I do like Osprey. I used to use a Gregory, which was way too heavy. It was like five mm-hmm. pounds or something like that. And, <laughs> you know, it's two and a half pounds is a big deal out out there. So, um, yeah. yeah, the Exos definitely, and it, uh, the Exos is nice because it um, the suspension. You know, it can comfortably carry uh, twenty five to thirty five pounds. And okay. I think it's rated up to 40 pounds. I don't know if I put that much in it, but with a bear can and stuff like that, that you're going to mm-hmm. have in a high Sierra, it, it kind of is nice having that extra padding, um, for a little bit of a bigger load. So, yeah, no, definitely. Like, what did you use as a, as a sleeping bag or, and, um, or like what rating did you go with? So I'm like, I'm like, a. I don't know how to put this, but I get cold really fast. Like even okay. if it's not that cold out. So I always go with anywhere from a 10 to a 20 degree bag. And for this hike, I had a 10 degree bag on the Pacific Northwest trail. It was probably a little overkill to be honest. I probably could have went mm-hmm. with like a 20 or even a 30. It was pretty hot. Like we had 110 degree days out there on that trail. Oh, wow. So the nights were still pretty warm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I use a quilt and I use Enlightened, which is, I think, probably the most popular um, sleeping system nowadays. Enlightened equipment. Um, okay. If you haven't heard of them, check them out. Definitely. They are hands down the best bang for your buck. They Their quilts are made with down tech and you can customize everything. If you check out their site, it's a super intuitive thing and you, and you can decide what you want. And if you want, you can send me what you're thinking and I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give it a bet. Um, okay. But quilts are great because they're really light. Like my quilt was 10 degrees and it weighed 19 ounces. I mean, wow. Yeah, it was a 10 degree uh, system that weighed 19 ounces. So the nice thing about a quilt is if it is warm out, you can just unclip it and then you're not totally in your bag. But if it gets chilly, you just clip it back in. Um, 
but anyway, Enlightened is fantastic. Tons of like options to customize with the types of materials. But the biggest thing is the down they use is down tech. So if it gets wet, it retains its loft. Um, and you'll have that, you know, with condensation, regardless of your, if you're in yeah. a tent or not in a tent. So, um, I, they're just awesome quilts and you'll see, I think, I think they are at least pretty, they were pretty they're common. Pr- pr- they're pretty common and they're really well priced. Like you can get a custom quilt for like 300 to $400. Okay. And just to put that in perspective, like a Western mountaineering quilt of the, that's not even a quilt. I think it's a sleeping bag. It weighs mm-hmm. more and it's probably double the price. So okay. inline yeah. equipment really, and I, but you need to put your order in about two to three weeks before you expect to have it. So, you know, okay. the sooner the better on that because, um, they are, they make the quilts by hand in, uh, Minnesota. So oh, perfect. Yeah. And there's also feathered friends I heard is really good. I haven't used them personally, but I did have a friend on the Pacific Northwest trail that used feathered friends mm-hmm. and they're sort of a similar, concept um but they're out of seattle um i can't speak to them personally but i have heard very good things as well about them so check them out definitely no i i've gotten it written down now what did you do for like a a pad so yeah uh if it's warm out just go with a z rest uh you don't have to worry about it popping you don't have to worry about baffles popping they're pretty light i mean what I do, and this is some people think is absurd, but I cut it so it's a three <laughs> it's a three quarter pad, um, and it's mainly just to reduce the bulk of it, less about weight. Um, but a Thermarest Z Rest foam closed foam pad is it's it's pretty. I mean, it depends. Uh, some people are not for them, but I would say a lot of people are just because they're rugged. Um, you should change those probably every thousand miles because the foam does break down and becomes okay. less of a heat barrier against the ground. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing about having just, just a Z rest is it's on the outside of your pack. And every time you plop your butt down for a break, you have this super cushiony seat that's right there. Yeah. Um, and then the other option, which I use when it's cold and I did have to do this on the Pacific Northwest trail is I gave up the full Z rest and I got a Thermarest Neo air pad. Um, which weighs probably about the same. It's definitely more, it is a little bit more comfy uh, when you're sleeping, but then I had to carry an extra little foam pad seat that was like not nearly as comfy during the day as my like full Z rest to sit on. So, um, so when it's warm, I just go with the Z rest when it's cold weather hiking to remove, you know, to separate myself from the ground more, I use an Mm -hmm. air pad with Mylar that's inside of it. So got it. And pillow. No, I don't use a pillow. Um, <laughs> Are you sleep? No. Do you sleep on your back or? I people, yeah. Actually, my buddies called me Dracula this summer because I like I I'm like one of the most sound sleepers. I literally just lay down on my back and I put my hands on my chest and I fall asleep <laughs> and I wake up in the exact same position. So oh, wow, uh, which is part of the reason I don't really need an air pad. I'm not like on my side that much during mm-hmm. the night. Um, but I do. I just I always just stuff one of my stuff bags with my rain jacket or whatever, just to give myself a little bit of a prop for a pillow, but I do not use a pillow. Um, yeah. Got it. Okay. But you know, <laughs> good sleep is really important on a trail and I can't stress that yeah. enough. 
if you are not comfortable and you're not getting good sleep because you're not comfortable, then you need to change things up and maybe add a couple ounces to your pack. Because I've known people who have gone too minimal and they're not comfortable at night and they're not getting good sleep and they're either super cranky or it just wears on you after months mm-hmm. and months and months and months of it. So it's important to be comfy um, for sure. And it wears your body down. A hundred percent. I mean, sleep is one of the most important things we can do for ourselves. And it's really important on trails to get, you know, hike your own hike, but most, most hikers are out by, you know, eight or nine, um, unless there's like a really good campfire, um, happening, but you know, it's good to get at least nine hours of sleep out on a trail. Mm -hmm. I would say, I mean, you're putting your body through the ringer with how much you're active. So it's, it's really important. Do you still carry the, the backpackers guitar with you? Uh, no, not a, no. <laughs> I did. There was a moment where I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I will on this on the Pacific Northwest Trail, like because you know, you once you get into hiker mode, it's just like you'll throw a couple tall boy beers in your pack when you're going out of town and and that kind of stuff, and you start to get a little bit, your head gets a little bit full. But when push came to shove, no, I I never put a backpack or guitar back in my pack, and it's also because my focus is on my camera work and capturing everything around me. So, um, I kind of, I, I, I save all the songwriting for when I get home for my films and I go into an actual recording studio now and, uh, put everything down that I'm going to use. Do you generally score your own films or do you also get source cues from, from places? Uh, generally I score all my own films. Nice. Okay. So I, I usually set aside, Oh, it depends. Sometimes it's just a week or sometimes it's a couple months to do soundtracks. But yeah, I think I've done that. This film will be my eighth film. And I typically write anywhere from 10 to 25 songs for each film. So I've done hundreds of songs Mm -hmm. to support um, the stories that are in my films. Yeah. You're a multi-hyphenate. Gotta be. It's uh, (laughs) as much of keeping the cost down as it is, you know, just something I like to do. And, you know, something that's always been there music's always been there so yeah now on this trail did you were you able to keep in contact while you were on trail or was it just when you were in town i sent out a ping every night via my garmin inreach and that would just let everybody it would give my location and it would say you know we were settled up for the day um but i was only able to keep in touch with my wife and son and family and friends when I was in town and that was like once a week. So it was pretty, pretty minimal contact throughout the summer. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get to see anybody because everybody's based back in Philadelphia or the Northeast. Um, so, uh, and my wife was working this summer too. So there was no, yeah, there was no, no family visits. visits. Yeah. And and which can happen. Um, so I, I didn't get to see everybody until last week. So, which was, yeah, which was a little tough, but you know, we all make sacrifices to do these things. Nobody, everybody has to make sacrifices to do long hikes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that maybe as things build up in your life, uh, it can, you have to make more sacrifices, but it just shows you how much you yeah. want it and how much you care about it. So your experience on, from being on the trail, like how has that translated back into the real world? I guess aside from doing the documentary films that you do, or is that a big, the biggest way that it's translated? Well, it definitely affects my perspective on almost everything. Mm-hmm. It's hard to walk away from a through hike and not have it affect 
uh, or influence lots of components of your life. I mean, the way you approach people, the way you, uh, the way you, um, approach, I, I don't want to say people because it's, it's, it's strangers as well as even your own family. Like you interact differently. You appreciate things, uh, more. And I think you're just more open as a person. I used to be really shy. Like I was insanely shy. I remember the first time I hitchhiked, I like barely stuck out my thumb. I was so nervous. And <laughs> now I've hitchhiked literally thousands of miles and met dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And, uh, you know, and then plus all the people you meet along the way on actual walking and whatnot. But when you throw yourself out there that much, it's, it's hard not to be changed by that. And, um, change for the better in my perspective. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the only thing a trail does that kind of ruins you is it makes you always want to go back. And that is, can be really hard. It can be really hard when you have a family and you know, you have people who, who you support. So, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's the one thing is, is, uh, once you get the taste of it, you know, you're kind of doomed because you're probably going to want to go back and, I think it's okay. You know, just, you just have to make sure you're responsible about it when you, you know, when you go back. So do you have, do you have any aspirations to complete your triple crown? You know, I get that a lot. And, (laughs) uh, you know, I do and I don't, it's not like uh, all the trails, all the trails I've done. I've, I've, you know, as I'm talking here, I'm talking about them as like one, like homogenous experience, but they really are different and they're different times in my life and different chapters in my life. Um, and to do the CDT to take six months to do the CDT. Um, it's not the first thing on my list. I mean, it'll get done, but Mm -hmm. it's also not really connected to the AT or the PCT. Like to, to me, the triple crown is this strange thing. I mean, there's 11 national scenic trails in the United States and put that on top of the plethora of scenic trails around the world. So to me, the CDT is its own beast that one day I will tackle, but it's not really, it's not connected to the AT or the PCT because I will be a very different person whenever I get to the CDT from when I was 21 and hiking the AT or, (laughs) you know, uh, 26, I guess it was when I was hiking the PCT. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's my answer to that question. But, I, I one day I'll hike it. Yeah, I mean, my guess is I'll probably wind up hiking with my son um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when he wants to do his triple crown, uh, if that's what's in the cards yeah. for him. But I'm I'm sort of leaning toward having just done a through hike and been away from my family. Like I've had a lot of time to think this week, and I would really like to get a through hike in with the family. And we're probably about ten years away from that, but it's something to look mm-hmm. forward to. So, do you ever? I mean, it sounds like certainly the, the PCT and the Pacific Northwest Trail and such, you're doing through hikes that are sponsored by somebody. So there's responsibilities to somebody else for things that you need to accomplish while on the trail, as opposed to just doing the trail to do the trail and to complete the trail. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's an added layer um, that I think a lot of people probably wouldn't want to have. It might sound nice to be sponsored, but there are definitely responsibilities and responsibilities to the project, not just the sponsor, Mm -hmm. that are very taxing. Like picture hiking 25 miles in a day and you get to the end of the day and you've been filming all day too and setting up shots and then 
some story thing happens, something that should be captured, but you're zonked. And the last thing you want to do is set up audio and think about it from a producer standpoint. The, you just want to like sit down, make a pot of ramen and go to bed. But you have to, you know, you have to kind of, you are responsible. It, most through, most people who through hike are really excited by the fact that they have one thing and one thing only to think about. Um, and I cherish that as well. But I also know that in my regular life and uh, my craft or my calling, whatever you want to call it, is mm-hmm. to try to share that experience and what that's like. So I try not to let it inhibit it too much. Um, it definitely adds a layer that I think most people detest and wouldn't want to do. Um, it's actually why Ian wasn't on this Pacific Northwest trail hike, like filming and hiking, which you could see in even the PCT, like we're best buddies and we love to hike together, but hiking and filming was not for him. And, um, when I set out to do this project, I had to find somebody who liked hiking and filming as much as me. Um, and I had to look halfway across the world in Austria to find that. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a layer of work that's, that's yeah. there. And, but it, you know, it also is fun because now that I'm done the hike, I'm still, my head's going to be in it for the next six months or so while I put the film together. So, mm-hmm. um, it kind of keeps yeah. you in that space a little bit. So, and you have a memory of the experience that's much more complete than, a lot of people who are just taking pictures on their phones or, you know, doing that kind of thing too. Yeah. It's really exciting sometimes. I mean, you know, we were up in the Olympics, we were in the Alpine country uh, and we were doing like three or four passes in one single day. And we had this awesome weather window, which does not always happen up there. And, you know, you just have this when sometimes you have these magical times where just you're in the right place at the right time and you have the right gear and, the experience to capture it really well. And when you look back at that footage, it's like, wow, I can't, it's hard to believe that that was my experience, but there it is, you know, there it is. And, and, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that kind of put fuel in my tank for still doing the work that I do is when you get to those things or when you find a really great story, like we had found a bunch of morel mushrooms yeah, which are like really prized in Washington. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like a whole backpack full of them. And then <laughs> we went into town and we had a trail angel that let us stay at her place. And like to repay her mm-hmm. the next morning, we made uh, omelets with like the morel mushrooms that we had picked the day before. And, you know, it's just like stuff like that is, you know, I think through hikers have those experiences a lot and yeah. it becomes pretty commonplace. But when you can capture it and share that with people and show people what, you love about the experience that, you know, kind of puts the tinglys up back and makes you feel good. Cause it, it represents, you know, when people ask, you know, how was the hike? I have a hard time answering that question in a few anecdotes. It's like, it's easier for me just to be like, well, you can watch my film in like six to 10 months. And, uh, that'll give yeah. you a much better idea of what it was like to, to walk a thousand plus miles through you know, the wilderness. Um, yeah. so yeah, you have to love it or else, don't bring a camera. <laughs> yeah. No, and I was watching in the last, you know, day or so, I was watching your PCT um, as it happens. And it was so interesting. Like I had, I had watched it previously, obviously, because I, because I've had reached out to you previously. Right. Um, but in that moment, like yesterday, as I'm watching it, and I'm just like, 
I'm getting the goosebumps. And, you know, as you guys are getting to the end of the trail and da 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 da, da like, I'm getting overcome with tears and stuff. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that's the goal, you know, is to make people feel something. And it and and it really is like my main objective with my work to get to inspire people to get out there. I really think that uh if more people had a more context and a larger connection to wilderness and to just yeah. putting themselves out there, like just getting out of themselves for a summer or a season or, you know, a through hike, like it just opens you up and it really has a lasting effect that makes you happier. Like it makes you a happier person and more open. And I I think, um, you know, that's my main objective with films that are centered on hiking is to show the experience and hopefully inspire folks who are thinking about it or maybe you've never heard about it and, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of plant the seed and hopefully it grows into their own experience. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, I, like I said before, I haven't done that much hiking, certainly not since I left home and went away and, went on my way in the world um, and like the stuff that you're doing, the documentaries that you're doing um, inspire the possible. Oh, that's so nice. Well, well, I hope, I mean, I've kind of taken like, I don't want to say a backseat to the hiking films cause I, but I kind of have, like I've done a lot more issue based films. I've, I've yeah. been working with this environmental journalist up at the Boston globe on about four different films over the last maybe three years. And that's been great. And it's definitely beefed up my chops and the pertinent or poignant films. Mm-hmm. But like in the, you know, in the back of my head, I always knew that I wanted to get back to making a hiking film. And it feels, it feels pretty good to be, you know, in the midst of creating another film that will get out there and hopefully, uh, you know, like you said, yeah. ins- inspire what could be possible for folks. So definitely. How much, how many hours of footage do you think you have? Oh, this one, we have a lot. We probably have about 150, plus hours of footage, 20,000 plus photographs. Um, I also was given, I'm friends with the founder of the Pacific Northwest Trail. He's this like, he's this guy, his name's Ron Strickland. Um, And I actually just sat down for an almost three hour interview with him uh, two days ago. And he handed me, oh gosh, a couple hundred photographs and also uh, oral histories of folks that were settlers up in the Pac Northwest when he was working on creating the trail back in the 60s and 70s. So I have this rich historical um, component that will be part of the film as well. So you're going to hear all these old voices talking about the Pac Northwest and what it was like when they first settled it in the early 1900s to mix in with all the footage that we shot this summer and archival stuff. So I'm really excited about the ingredients that we have for this film. It's going to be tricky to put it together, but, you know, that's okay. That's good. It'll be a, a challenge. Yeah, it'll be a good challenge. Yeah. Yep. When do you think that, when is your, when is your, uh, projection for being done with it? Uh, we're looking to wrap up that production. It's probably going to be sometime summer 2019. And it's, it's a pretty big window. I mean, we literally, you know, just got home and are setting up all the technical parts of the project. Um, but, uh, yeah, sometime summer 2019 and, Okay. Uh, yeah, we're we're pretty excited. I mean, we have a lot to to play with here, so it's it's going to be a pretty magical film once once we get it all together. I'm excited. Was it was it done in conjunction with anybody like outdoor research or anything, or was it? Is yeah, this it just one. Your yeah, this was done with outdoor research and Osprey. So we had okay. we had support from them, and 
Um, and you know, but the nice thing is, is they're really great sponsors because they, they just basically gave us some grant money gear and we're like, there's no strings attached as far as creative. So, you know, they let us, there's, there's no influence from above. It's just, it's, it's it's an independent film through and through. And, um, it's myself. I'm one of the EPs on it. And then Peter Hockhauser, uh, Mm -hmm. is the second, uh, my co-EP on the project. So we will be tackling it together. And Peter has a great video out called, this is not a beautiful hiking video. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. So you should check that out. Cause that's like a nice, it's an eight minute short and, uh, that went viral. And that's actually how we met Mm -hmm. was because I saw it and I was like, wow, this is a great video. We should partner up on a project. And that's how we got together for this summer. I will definitely check it out. It's right up my alley. It is. I'm surprised you don't know yet, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's a, it's a good one. And he has some other okay. good videos up there, but that's, that's the one you should check out first. Perfect. Do you have distribution in place for the documentary or is that something you're going to have to find once you've got it complete? Yeah, I don't, we do, we do not. Um, and I don't usually work with the distributor or a network until I'm done with it. It mm. keeps the film independent. And I'm at a place in my career where I can kind of keep the, keep the creative reins until I sell it. Yeah. So, uh, no, we do not have anything lined up and, you know, it's, it's a little bit of the wild west once you get into that world because of all the platforms that are available now, but it'll be somewhere and you'll be able to watch it when, uh, when it's all done. I look forward to that. It will be further inspiration about a year out from when I'm actually going to get on the damn thing. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a long time to wait. Uh, I know 2020. I thought it was 20. Did you change that? Was it originally 2019 or was it always 2020? Um, it was, I think when we originally had talked, it was, it was earlier and then life got in the way. And, um, I also work in production. Uh, I've been doing a lot of TV production lately. And so that sort of overwhelmed being able to do anything else. So at that point it was sort of like, you know what? 2020 is going to be a big year. It's a big momentous, you know, uh, time anyway. So let's just, let's just blow the lid off and, and make that the, the goal and then just focus everything else schedule and, uh, wise around that. Yeah. I mean, as soon as it becomes, yeah, as soon as it becomes possible, buy your plane ticket. Okay. As soon as you are able to, like, I don't know what the earliest you can buy it, but buy your plane ticket because, once your plane tickets bought, I mean, yeah. I guess you could get buyer's insurance or whatever, but it's mm-hmm. like, that's like, to that's my usual recommendation to folks is like, buy your plane ticket. Because as soon as you have your plane ticket, it's like, you can say out loud that you're going because you have a plane ticket that's booked. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's harder to get it out because you've already taken one like really concrete step toward the start. And I think it's yeah. probably half the challenge is just getting yourself out there. Um, and then the other half is hiking the trail. And, you know, for me this summer, like I had to send my dog to a farm for the summer, which I had to still pick him up this weekend, actually tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, had to find like childcare for my son because I was kind of watching him half time before and yeah. our full time childcare for my son. And of course, like, you know, there's just a lot of saving up money to be able to put down yeah. bills before I leave. And you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes to being away, especially when you're a little bit older and you have more responsibilities. So, but again, you know, we, Peter and I booked it, we booked our plane tickets early and, um, 
you know, that was the commitment. That was the, the, the action. Yeah. Because there's, there's so many excuses that can come up. Oh, oh, yeah. I was going to, but I can't because. And some of them, like, seem totally legitimate. And that's where, like, the sacrifice comes in. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, you know, I have people in my neighborhood here in Philly who, when I told them I was leaving, you know, my little toddler and my home for two and a half months to go walk in the woods with grizzly bears, they were, like, looked at me like I had three eyes and was green. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's just like, yeah, but, you know. I love doing it and, yeah. and, and I would have a hard time when my son's older being like, you know, I gave it all up for you, bud. And, uh, you know, yeah, that was it. it, mm-hmm. it I think it's going to be, I think, and this is just me personally, but I think it's important to continue to be you even when you get older and have responsibilities. So, um, and I have a wife that supports it too. She met me and I had a backpack on, so she kind of knew what she was she getting. She gets it. But yeah. Yeah. I was very dirty when she met me. So yeah, <laughs> there was uh, there's nothing, no surprise there. So. Right. Uh, right. She overlooked it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think she overlooked that. I think she kind of dug it. Um, embraced it. She embraced it. Yeah. I don't think it was a tolerant. I think she thought it was pretty cool. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, as your date gets closer and if you have you know any more questions or anything, I'm always happy to hop on the phone. I'll be much oh, more available, uh, especially for the next six months. I don't plan on going anywhere. I will be very much a domestic guy for the next six months. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much for, for, you know, getting back for a week and hopping on this, this call and, and, uh, answering some questions and stuff. I clearly I talk about this forever. This is very <laughs> close to my heart. I, I love helping people out. I mean, I've I, I used to talk to people a lot more when the film first came out. I probably talked to like, gosh, I probably talked to a couple people a week um, mm-hmm. for the first couple years it was out. But you know, it's kind of it's older now. It's been out for almost five, I think, almost yeah. five years now. So I don't. I talk to people maybe like once a month now, if that. Okay. So uh, so it's always fun. It's fun for me. So I have one last question for you. It's hopefully a quick one. Sure. Which is where can people find you? As it happens. TV. Okay. I don't do social media that much, mainly because I like to make films and they're long form. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to find me, go to as it happens. TV, and there's links for my films or trailers there. And okay. when my newest film, the film on the Pacific Northwest Trail, is out, everything for it will be on as it happens. TV. And links for Andy's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Andy for sharing his stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for use of the song Try Again. I would love to hear about your trail stories as well. So please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. I'll see you on the trail.